Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. We are today in Lesson 92, and uh, we are now in the book of Romans, chapter 3. Last time we were reading after verse 5 and 6 and so forth, where uh, the Apostle Paul is speaking first in chapter 1 about the sins and iniquities of the world as a whole, of the nations, of the Gentiles. And after that he comes to chapter 2 when he speaks about the, the iniquities and transgressions of the Jews in general, and is admonishing them, the Jewish community, those who are listening, and also, likewise, those who have been called among the Jewish community into the knowledge of the truth. In other words, the knowledge of the Savior, of the King of Israel. It's not that before that they were in darkness. They were not. They've known the ways of truth. They've known the law. They've known the prophets. They've known the Torah, Moses, teachings, psalms, writings. But the knowledge of the truth is that what is the meaning of it all? And that's in essence that Jesus Christ, the Savior of Israel, is the hope of glory. All that is to the end, so that all may walk in that path, in that way, and receive salvation, justification, and, and cleansing of the conscience, and repentance that is granted by God, so that people can become exactly like God and be born into his family. And that's in essence what is referred to as the truth. And that's why you read in the book of John, chapter 1, that... Uh, chapter 1 where Moses gave the law and Jesus Christ brought the truth and so this is what he's talking about it's not that the law is not truth just that the truth that he's talking about is the fact of the purpose of it all or as you would read in, in the writings of the Apostle Paul Christ is the end result of the law and Christ is the hope of glory and so that's what he's telling them that to the children of Israel, to the church, to the people of God. But just because God gave them the Torah, which is able to make them wise unto salvation, as he told Timothy, that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, you have known the Torah, you have known Moses, you have known the prophets, you have known the writings, which were able, those Scriptures are able. That is, if, if God is in it, the Spirit of God is in it, and you are walking in it, it's able to make you wise unto salvation. By faith, that is, in your Savior, in Jesus Christ. And that's the whole package deal there. And so he's rebuking both Gentile and Jew, Jews and Greeks, the people of Israel, the church of God, the wife of God, the bride of God, that is in the making. Obviously, most of them are not converted yet, but they will be. And he's telling them that without the Torah, without obedience to the Torah, they cannot make it not only walking in it, not only knowing it, not only being given all the oracles of God, but you must walk in it. And then he's quoting what David is saying about the state of mind of people in his day, and he's speaking in general about the wicked, and not that uh, not, uh, there was no one single person that was righteous. Obviously, there were those who were righteous, but he's speaking in general about his own people. When he says... Uh, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. And that's the reason why God concluded his people, Israel, his wife, in unbelief. Because they were disobedient. They wanted to walk in that way and said, okay, I'll let you go your own way. I'll continue doing my work. Some of you are going to be called, some of the nations that will be grafted into the commonwealth of Israel. And then at the end of time, I'm going to cleanse you and purge you and purify you first with the tribulation and after that with my own blood and atone for your sins and make you a bride again to myself 
without spots and without blemishes. And so Paul is addressing it in, in a different way here. In other words, the people that are not really aware of the totality of the background that is from the beginning to the end of the whole story, when they come to the writings of Paul, they cannot put it in context. And many people are studying the Bible from the point of view of those who have been deceived for 2,000 years. And when you do it, you're getting a totally different picture and you really do not get the real picture and what Paul is talking about and what he really meant. And so people came about uh, from here and from there, from inside, from outside, grievous wolves, and from inside, heretics rose and began to teach their own heresies within the body of Christ. And one of the lies that they were teaching, the two eyes done away with, and they even went as far as saying that Paul taught that and Paul did not. And so they read his writings and they get the impression that he's done away with the law instead of understanding what he's talking about. That just because you obey the law, if you do not also walk in Christ, if his spirit is not in you, if he is not ultimately the one that is washing you and cleansing you and purging you from all of your sins and iniquities, and if God does not grant you repentance, that is Elohim, the Father of Christ, and that's why he was preaching repentance toward God and faith toward Christ, all those things will not do you any good. But that does not mean that the law is done away with, or the Torah. And so he ends up in verse 31, Do we then make void the Torah through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the Torah. And so he said, you have to obey the Torah, you have to walk in it. This is what would make you like Jesus Christ. This is what would make you holy and sanctified. This is what will, what, uh, will bring you to, to a point where Christ said, okay, you are obedient to my commandments, I am going to justify you and cleanse you and purge you from all your sins and iniquities because nobody can keep the Torah perfectly. And he made it very plain. And then verse, in chapter 4 and verse 1 we read, what then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before Elohim or before God. And so, in essence, what, what Paul is doing here, he is speaking about the totality of the faith. Because the Jews were getting into a place where they were thinking only strictly about the mechanics of the law, and thinking that through that, they can enter into life. And God made it plain from the beginning of time with Abraham and those who came before him that they must believe in him, have faith in him, walk in him, and obey his commandments. And in other places you read that the faith is not only something you believe, but you must obey the faith. As Peter talked about it, about those who do not obey the faith. And you obey the truth. You do not only believe in it. And so you have, must have faith toward God and repentance. That is, you must keep the Torah and turn away from sin and transgression. And all Paul is doing about it is just polishing the whole thing and putting it all in one package deal, so to speak, so people can understand it. He's speaking about all the components of the way of the religion of God, which includes righteousness, obedience to the Torah, which includes faith in God. And therefore, God will justify and... and uh, and cleanse and purge and purify and sanctify and atone for the sins of, of his children. 
And this is what the Gentiles, this is what the ignorant, this is what the unlearned have not understood. And unfortunately, many of the Jews, because of the, of the strictness of the way in which they were walking, where they forgot about the totality of the picture, they were walking in, in a way that was more legalistic in the sense of this, all that obedience to the law, this law, that law, the other law, every single one of them, in a very meticulous way, will earn them salvation. And God told them, to begin with, they have to have the totality of it. And that's what the Torah is all about. The Torah teaches you about faith, it teaches you about sanctification and justification, it teaches you about the, the legal code, it includes that. And some people think that Torah and legal code and law are the same. Torah is not law. Law is included in the Torah, but the Torah is not the law. And that confuses people to this very day. And Paul is making plain the whole thing. There is the Torah that is a legal code. And there is the Torah of the temple. And there is the Torah of marriage. And there is the Torah of rituals. And there is the Torah of the moral behavior. And all of them are, are segments and pillars of the entirety of what is called the Torah. The generic name that is given to all. And grace. There is the law of grace. And that is a part of the Torah. And when people uh, think that law and Torah are the same, they get very much confused. And so God is making it very plain now through the Apostle Paul that the Torah is the totality of the whole thing. And so when you read the statements of the Apostle Paul, you have to understand the background, you have to understand the context, you have to understand what's on his mind and what he means by whatever he says. And if you don't have that, if you don't, cannot get into his skin, so to speak, you wouldn't know what he's talking about. And that's what Peter was saying, but they don't learn it. And all that is speaking mainly to the children of Israel and to the ones grafted among the nations who are now becoming Israelites and they are part of the commonwealth of Israel. They are not physical Israelites, but they are spiritual Israelites. And yet, the majority of the wife is physical and spiritual. And so he's speaking about Father Abraham, the father of the faith, that had a relationship with God that included the totality of the way, that is, grace, faith, righteousness, and all those things is what God demands. God demands that we worship Him in truth and in spirit, not partial truth. The legal code would be only partial truth. Or if only you walk by grace, that's only partial truth. You gotta have the whole thing. And that's what he's talking about here, and as he go on later on, as he writes to the Galatians or Ephesians, and more writings here to the Romans and Ephesians and other places, you have to understand the totality of the picture or else you wouldn't know what Paul is talking about. And that's where people get confused to this very day. Having no background, no understanding of the totality of the picture, they get mixed up in many ways. And so when he talks about Father Abraham, is showing that Father Abraham was a man that obeyed God in every way, not only partly, not only a little bit here and a little bit there, but everything was there. Grace was there, and faith was there, and righteousness was there, and the legal code was there, and the moral law was there. And that's what God demanded from his wife Israel, and because Israel departed from that, Therefore, there was a need for the atonement for the sin, which to begin with, he let them know that that's the way it's going to be, as he gave them sacrifices, and he gave them the special sacrifice on the day of atonement, and he gave them the sacrifice of the Passover, all those were leading in that direction. 
But because they had no faith, first generation died in the wilderness, and the rest of the generations that came after that were constantly in trouble, into idolatry, into rebellion, into unrighteousness. And so God said, okay, I'm going to put you on the shelf, so to speak. Still, he dealt with them and blessed them and fulfilled all the covenants and the promises and all the blessings that he gave them through Jacob at the end of his days when he blessed them and Moses did the same. He never forsook them all this time, even in their rebellion, even when he sent them into captivity. He still brought them back. And so Paul is addressing all these issues here so that Israel may come back to her God, to her husband, and all those who are being called along with her, or the Gentiles grafted into the commonwealth of Israel, they too must live by the same conditions of that marriage covenant, which included grace and faith and righteousness and obedience to a legal code. And it's not uh, something that developed later on when people misunderstood what Paul is talking about. So now they separated grace from law and they were talking about grace versus law. And that shows great ignorance there into this very day. Unfortunately, people are debating the same thing, not having proper background, being unlearned in many ways. Grace did not replace the law, and the law was not there to replace grace. They're all a part of the Torah. And so that's what he's telling them. And uh, let's go to chapter uh, 6 and verse 33, where Paul uh, actually... In verse 23, I mean, where Paul, speaking about the Torah, the Torah that God gave Israel, the Torah that God commanded Israel to obey, and the entirety of it, he commanded them to have not only obedience, but also faith. Faith is also something that God commands. And walking in grace is also the God, is something that God commands. And so in verse 23, Paul tells his people, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what is sin? Transgression of the Torah. So you cannot have grace and say, well, I don't need the Torah. And that's the story of Israel. Constantly ignorant and blind and confused and constantly rebellious against God and then coming back now and then back to God thinking they would believe that He is their God if they would cry to him, he would deliver them, and in his mercy and compassion he did. And then they went back into disobedience. And people haven't changed to this very day. And so Paul makes it very plain. There is no way to God. There is no way to become like Jesus Christ apart from the Torah. There is no way for Israel to have an atonement for her sins apart from repentance. Christ is not going to do it for them when they are not willing themselves to, to, uh, to cooperate and walk in his path and in his ways. And that's why God tells him that when I'm going to make a new marriage covenant with you, this time I'm not going to give you two tables of stone and uh, writings on it, and it's not going to be in a book. I'm going to write the law in your hearts, or you will be obedient to it, not disobedient. And when you show that willingness that you're walking in that law, then I'm going to atone also for your sins and iniquities. And when you do that, well, there aren't going to be any iniquities or transgressions found in Jacob. And that's where the ultimate was. Where God says that the sins of Israel and Judah shall be searched and shall not be found. Why? Because God is going to write his laws in their hearts and they will be obedient. And so there will be a bride without spots, without blemishes, which transgression of the law make possible. 
for spots and blemishes to appear in the body. But when there is obedience, all those things disappear. And so in chapter 7, uh, the Apostle Paul continues the, the, uh, the teachings to his own people and to those who are being grafted into Israel. Now they're all Israelites, so he's speaking to Israel. Uh, verse 7, he says, What shall we say then? Is the Torah sin? Can't, certainly not. On the contrary. Why does he even need to ask that kind of a question? Because unlearned people were developing these kind of ideas. And those who were listening to him, not fully comprehending what he's saying from the Jewish community, thinking, uh-oh, he's doing away with the Torah. And he was not. He's talking about the totality of the package deal that is included in the Torah. Grace, justification, faith. Without which, just obedience, legal obedience to the Torah, you know, technical way, just like a computer, you put, you know, the, the program into the computer and it functions without a mind, without a heart, without faith. And he says, with God, you must have a totality of your relationship. You must obey his law. And if it's a legal code, you must obey a legal code. And you must have faith in him. And you must walk with him. And you must understand that he's the one that justifies you and cleanses you and purges you and purifies you. And he's talking about the totality of the Torah and people who were unlearned, both in the Jewish community and more so in the non-Jewish community, they were misunderstanding many of the things that he was saying. Mind you, Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. Very, very well versed in the Torah. Before, more on the, on the legalistic side of it. And also, not to the same degree, but also faith and understanding. All those things were also understood by the Pharisees, faith and grace. But they were putting the emphasis on, on the obedience in a legalistic manner more than on faith. And he's saying you cannot do away with one and have the other. You have, a, you have to have the totality of it. And so he's addressing this issue to Israel, to the people of God, to the children of God, physically and spiritually, who misunderstood what he's talking about. He says, what shall we say then? Verse 7, 7 and 7, Romans 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the Torah sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, this is the second time he's saying that. I would not have known sin, which is transgression of the Torah, except through the Torah. For I would not have known covetousness unless the Torah had said, you shall not covet. Where do you find this command? You see, you have to go to the Torah that God gave Israel on Mount Sinai when he married Israel. And that's one of the ten. But there are many other uh, laws of the Torah. You see, the Torah contains laws. The Torah is not the law, and the law is not the Torah. Just like a house contains a door and a window and a, and a floor and a ceiling, but you cannot take a door and say, well, this is the house. And that's what people have done with the Torah. When they use the word law for it, and it's a horrible translation. And it'll be uh, just as, uh, it'll make just as much sense if you, uh, in, in other words, you know, this is tongue in cheek, it's not really sense, but if you call a house the door, it would be the same as when, when you call the Torah the law. And this is something that is uh, very unfortunate, where the translators, having no knowledge and no understanding of the Hebrew as they should have known, and no spiritual knowledge and understanding as they should have had, or they could have had if they went to God for it, and so they, they just translated that to law, and law is a legal code, and that's not correct terminology. You totally miss the point when, when you do that. And when you believe that, that the Torah is a law. The Torah contains laws. 
and contains teachings and contains instructions and contains grace and contains uh, knowledge about uh, music and, uh, and culture and education and human relationships and psychology and philosophy and uh, tells you an awful lot of things. It tells you about the mind of God. That mind of God was translated in a word, the way. This is what he calls his religion, the way. It's a journey that you take into his mind and into his heart, into his thoughts. And you know what he is, what makes him what he is. And when you do that, and you emulate that, and you copy that, and you walk in that, you become that being. And that's what it means. Christ is the end result of the Torah. Not the end of the law, but the end result of the Torah. When, that's why he said, I'm the way. And the Torah. In other words, through the Torah, he described himself. And he commanded us to walk in that way so that we may become like him. And so he's speaking about coveting, which comes from the Torah. And also many other laws. And so he said, I wouldn't have never know what, what uh, coveting is unless the Torah told me what it is. And so he says, sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire for apart from the Torah sin was dead and the Torah tells you what desires are good and what desires are bad what feelings are good and what feelings are bad what attitudes are good and what attitudes are, ba are bad and the fruit of the spirit are the components of the Torah and the fruit of the flesh also are described by the Torah as being evil and should be avoided. And so he's talking about the totality of it. And in verse 12 he says, Therefore, since the Torah teaches him what right and what is wrong, and what is godly, what is ungodly, you know, people say, you know, he's a godly man. Well, what do you mean? Is he obeying the Torah? Is he walking in it? Is he walking in the entirety of it? Or just part of it? This is what makes a man godly. Like God. That's all it means. And only the Torah in all of its components can tell you that and reveal to you what God is. You know, the Torah is a manifestation of the mind of God, of the nature of God, of the character of God. And that's why Christ is called the Word of God. That is the truth of God. That is the law of God. That is the Torah of God. And when I say law, mind you, I'm speaking about Torah and not the, the, the concept that you find in the dictionary as the legal code. And so it says in verse 12, Therefore, the Torah is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. And therefore, people cannot uh, invent this concept, which is not a, a correct one, that there is a, an issue of grace and there is an issue of law. And one is against the other, or one is contrary to the other, or is either this one or that one. This is total foolish uh, reasoning and arguments. Because all those things are components of the Torah, and you don't take you know you don't make an argument between the floor and the ceiling. You know they're all part of the same house. You know, it's a foolish exercise, and so Paul makes it very plain in verse 14. He goes again and then says that for we know, we know. It's not something that we don't know. We know, and we should all know, and all Israel should know, and all of us to this very day should know, and all those who call themselves people of God should know that the, the Torah is spiritual. But I am, we are carnal, sold under 
sin, which is transgression of the law, you know, that desire, that pull to disobey the Torah or in all of its components, whether it be grace, whether it be faith, whether it be uh, wrong desires, desires or wrong feelings or wrong attitudes, whether it be the legal, legal code where God tells us do this and people say, no, I don't need to do it. He commands us to obey the Sabbath, to keep the Sabbath, to remember the Sabbath, to delight ourselves uh, in the Sabbath, to make it a day of delight. And people say, well, I'm spiritual. I don't need to keep the Sabbath. Or I can worship God any day. Of course you can worship God any day, and you're commanded to worship God any day. But God gave us a command that the seventh day is a special day that is sanctified and made it holy. And on this day, he wants you to devote it totally to him. We don't make our mind what we're going to obey and what we don't. You see, these are lawless people who think that way and feel that way. They don't know what the Torah is all about. And so it is they do for other laws that God gave, you know, the law of clean and unclean and many other things, or holidays and whatever it may be. And so Paul makes it very plain. God is making it very plain to his wife, to his church, to his people, to Israel, at all times. And when he comes back and takes Israel to him as a wife, he's going to write these laws in her heart. The law of grace, the law of faith, the law of the legal code, you see, and everything else that is included in the Torah. Because otherwise, in the flesh, there is uh, no good apart from the Torah. And so that, that's what Paul is saying. If I, If then I do what I will not do, or what I will not to do, I agree with the Torah, that it is good. The Torah is good, not bad. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. You know, the power that is in us, the evil nature that is in us. As some people call it, the evil nature and the good nature. The law of the flesh. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, and all of us are in the same boat, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find, for the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. And that's the reason why Paul is addressing that very much. He's going very deeply into it, and it's a very deep meat. And people uh, have a difficulty understanding that, because they're not spiritual as they should be. They do not hunger and desire and thirst for righteousness, which is the Torah. And because of that, they have, don't have much comprehension and understanding. And so later on, as I speak to the Gentiles, who had much less knowledge and understanding and appreciation for the Torah, they had more problems because of that. And to this very day, people are arguing about the same things. And they think, well, I don't need to obey the Torah, and I don't need to obey this, and I don't need to obey that, and nothing new under the sun. And to this very day, we have these problems. And that's the reason why people say, well, I don't want to hear about the Torah, I don't want to hear about the Old Testament. That's what they mean by that. You know, I don't want obedience, I don't want commandments. Just give me faith, you know, faith in my heart and grace, and that's all I need. And God says to people like that, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? You are not obeying my Torah. You're not interested in people who are disobedient, or just interested in grace and faith. And yet people for 2,000 years lived their whole life by the hundreds of millions, or today billions of them, two, three billions of them, on these lies. And God tells us, come out of this Babylon if you are to be Israelites. If we are going to be members of that new covenant, new marriage, which is coming, he's not here yet. We're not married to him yet. Though, technically, you know, he calls us his wife because 
and then after the engagement occurs, then technically a woman is called a wife, and the man is called a husband. But the marriage has not occurred yet. And so this is where we are today, and that's why God refers to his people as my wife, even though he's not married to them yet. And that's why he tells his people, Israel, return unto me, for I'm married unto you. That's what he's talking about. And so, God makes it very plain. Let's go now to uh, chapter 9, to 11, three chapters, and we shall go through them, because the entirety of it, God is devoting him through the Apostle Paul to Israel. In other words, he knew that the Gentiles, being ignorant, not fully understanding the Torah, the entirety of the story, are going to get wrong examples there, and wrong ideas there, and wrong concepts there, about the fact that when he came to his own, and his own rejected him, and many of them were rebellious, uh, that forgetting about all the ones that followed him, and they became the core of the church, and the, and the disciples, and the apostles, and all that, and the zero in on the majority of them who rejected him, at least rejected, uh, not rejected the Sabbath, or the Torah, or many of all, all those things that he gave them, but rejecting certain aspects of the Torah. One of the teachings of the Torah is that he is their God. And he's going to atone for them. He's coming in the flesh. And he's going to die for them. And he's going to justify them. This is what they rejected. And it's not talking about total rejection of the Torah. And because of that, God said, okay, the first to whom I came is going to be last. Not because of that. And the last, the one, you know, among the nations, who, and, and among the children of Israel, who were sent into captivity, the ten tribes, he sent his disciples to them. And many of them were being converted as, as they went through all the nations of Israel where they were. So he said, the first shall be last, and last shall be first. And yet, again, when he comes again to his own people, to Judah, to Jerusalem, he said, the tents of Judah shall be saved first. So again, Jew, the Jew will be first. Even over all the tribes of Israel, as nations, as peoples. And... Uh, he realized that there is going to be a great deception for 2,000 years. The Gentiles are going to take over. This are called the times of the Gentiles. And he knew all about it. He let it happen. He didn't stop it. And that's why we find so many people confused. And there is a false church, and everybody thinks that's the true church. And then he came out of it and protest and became different churches. And then uh, people that got called during this generation came out of that too. And yet they brought with them all teachings. And they're still confused by those teachings. And so God is recording through the Apostle Paul a message to all mankind. All those who are going to come in contact with the Torah, with the, the Hebrew Scriptures, and with the writings of the disciples, which they call New Testament. And he puts them on notice, so they would realize God never forsook his people. And so we're in chapter 9. I tell you the truth in Christ. This is not a lie that Paul is saying. This is the truth. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Why? Because that's the church of God. This is the wife of God. This is the people of God. And he knew that she must return for salvation to come, not only to Israel, but to the whole earth. She must return to her husband. The marriage must take place. And it's through that marriage that all mankind are going to be saved. And so he expressed those feelings, and you never see him express those kind of feelings toward other nations, the Gentiles. And he must understand that. And so yeah, that's what he said. 
And uh, so he said, uh, I, I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. They've not been rejected from being Israel. They are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, and of course it's specific, is talking about the people of Judah. Yet that includes all of Israel also, because he went to them too, and most of them also were rebellious, only a few of them responded in comparison and uh, the other disciples had the same exa- uh, you know, uh, experience with them. Well, some of the Israelites responded and became followers of their God, the God of Israel. And while well, the rest of them probably mocked them and uh, made fun of them, just like they do today. Uh, there's no difference. Just like they did to the prophets. And so he said here, there are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption. That is the sonship. The sonship pertains to them. Why? Because God said to Israel, you are my firstborn. Israel is my son. They are the sons of the kingdom. That's what Christ called them constantly. And they are to be the wife of God. And through them, through that marriage, the wife that is of the deity that became their husband in Sinai, and again they will be uh, the wife of that very deity that came to atone for their sins so that they can bear many children, all the nations of the earth. And so it says to them, pretend the adoption. Not it did. It still does. The sonship and the glory and the covenants. It's to them. It's not to the nations and the giving of the Torah and the service of God. Speaking about the divine service that was given uh, and, and uh, practiced in the temple and in the synagogue. And unfortunately, we departed from that long, long ago. And we don't even know how to conduct a service. You know, the service of God. And the service of God included in the temple, the sacrifices, that all, all of them meant something. Uh, they were not just mindless things. And there was the hour of prayer and the worship of God and the singing to God, all that is called the service of God. And the service of God also included uh, the teachings of all mankind. And so he says, and the service of God and the promises. You see, all that, all that belongs to them, he said. He didn't say, well, in the past it belonged to them. Now that they have rejected Christ, God threw them away and now he put down Israel and picked up the church and it all belongs to us. This is what the false church message was. And many of us still believe it to this very day. And because of that, because of that, we're still a part of Babylon. And we don't realize it. And God tells us, get out of it. Come out of it. You know, this is the wrath of the wine of the fornications of the great whore. And if you drink of it, you're going to be partakers of the plagues that are coming of that great whore that deceived the whole world. And that's what he's saying. It belongs to Israel. Nobody else. And all those who are being grafted into Israel, they become Israel also. And of whom are the fathers, verse 5, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came. It's according to the flesh, not according to the Spirit, who is over all uh, the eternally blessed God. Amen. And of that Christ, who came in the flesh, Paul later on would say, well, in the time past, when he was in the flesh, when he was a Jew, he was, you see. It's not that he was before he was born. He was eternal. He's the creator of all, including the Jews. I mean, I cannot box him into that. There are too many people today have a Jewish Jesus, so to speak, forgetting. Yes, he came in the flesh, born of the house of Judah, the, of the tribe of, uh, of uh, you know, of Judah, the lion the tribe, and of the house of David, and of Mary in particular, you see. But all that was for a period of 33 years. After that, he's no longer a Jew. He's a spirit being again. He's the God of the whole earth, by whom all heaven and earth were created. As people still like to box him into that. Uh, talking about the Jew, you know, the, the Jewish gods, you know, some of them. Uh, you know, Jesus, you know, they have a Jesus worship and, uh, 
and all those Jewish roots and Hebrew roots and all those things, forgetting that God is the God of the whole earth. And that was one problem that the Jews were developing at the time. And Paul said, you know, is, is he only the God of the Jews? You know, they were thinking he's a Jewish God. He's a divine being. He's an eternal. You cannot ascribe to him any ethnic background, even though at that period of time he was from that background. But as Paul said later on, now we know him no longer according to the flesh. We did know him, yes. For a period of time he was in the flesh. He was a human being. He was a Jew when he was a human being. But now he's no longer in that category. You see, though he's still the line of the tribe of Judah, he's no longer in that category because he's back again to being the creator. A divine being, the eternal. You know? And all human beings were created by him. Every single human being on the face of the earth was created by him. So they cannot box him even into one ethnic group. Unfortunately, this is what human beings like to do. And so he said, yes, according to the flesh at that time, that's, he came from that, from them. Of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed uh, God. Amen. That is Elohim. And uh, so he's calling him at this point eternal. Eternal means Jehovah and Elohim. That was also his name. And also the name of the Father. And verse 6, But it is not that the word of Elohim has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. In other words, many of the Israelites, many of the children of Judah responded, and then God called also others of the Gentiles, and they too responded, and they all became spiritual Israelites. But all the rest of Israel, he said, they're not spiritual Israelites. That's what he's saying. It's not that, you know, they're not Israel anymore. They're Israel, and they will be spiritual Israel as God converts them and grants them repentance. Nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. And who are the seed of Isaac? Well, they're also the physical children of Israel, the children of uh, Jacob. But also, the ones are going to be grafted. So now he's developing the theme that God is going to call uh, some of the peoples of the earth, and he's going to graft them into Israel, and they too will become Israel. And so he's developing the whole concept of what Israel is all about. It's not just a physical term, he says, it's also a spiritual one. Therefore, a Gentile can become Israel, a spiritual Israelite, when God grafts him into Israel, not into a separate entity called the church, but into Israel, and that becomes Israel. And that's what he's talking about here. And that is verse 8, that those who are the children of the flesh, they are not the children of God. In other words, to be a child of God in the spirit, not just in the flesh, because the children of Israel were called the children of God. As Moses told them in Deuteronomy 14 other places, you are all the sons of the living God. You see, but in the flesh, in other words, you still don't have the spirit in you. That's what he means by that. And that's what Paul is talking about here. And it's not a new concept. This is what Moses told Israel. And yet, without the Holy Spirit, we cannot be spiritual children of Israel, only physical children of, of, of God, that is. And so that's what he's saying. In Isaac, your children shall be called. And that is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. That is a spiritual seed. Well, this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And so he's explaining this whole concept. And then uh, later on he goes uh, in verse uh, 13, uh, speaking about uh, Jacob and Esau. In verse 12 it says, It was said of her, The older shall serve the younger. Speaking about the Jacob and Esau before they were born. That's what God told uh, Rebecca. In other words, he's developing the theme. They are children of promise, you see, who may not be physical children, 
of a certain parent, but they become adopted into that family, and then children who are born of that family, but they too can become children of the Spirit, if they obey God and receive the Holy Spirit. These are the conditions. You must repent and be baptized, and then you shall receive the Holy Spirit. You cannot just enter without that. And so, in verse 13, he says about Jacob and Esau, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. And he quotes Malachi, and God says there, I have hated. He didn't say I love less. You know, some people like to apologize for God and change the wording. No, that's God, exactly what God said. I hate Esau. In other words, you are what you think. You are what you do. And if what you do is evil, God hates you. You see? And what he means hates you, he hates your deeds, he hates your mind, he hates your spirit, he hates your actions. But when you repent and turn away from sin and evil, then God loves you. Yes, God loves a sinner and he hates his sin. So you have to understand the concept. And so when a person becomes evil, God hates that evil. And that's what he's talking about here. God hated the mind of Esau. The nature of Esau, the rebellious nature, you know, the contentious uh, nature where he, where he had contempt for the birthright and for the way of God and for the truth of God. And God hates these kind of people. You know, as David would say, I hate the wicked with perfect hatred. Obviously, he's speaking about the wickedness of the wicked. And when the wicked turns away from his wickedness, well, God no longer hates that wicked man, but he loves that wicked man. But he does not love his wickedness. And people get confused over this concept. They mix it up. And what shall we say then? Verse 14, Is there unrighteousness with God or with Elohim? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomsoever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomsoever I will have compassion. So he's developing this, this concept that God is going to deal with his people. He loves his people. But when they do evil, he hates that evil. And when he calls people out of the Gentiles and they become obedient and circumcised in their heart, then he loves those people and he sees no difference between them and his own children that he married and made his own wife and they're all in the same category. But still, he's constantly reminding the Gentiles that God never forsook his people. He just hates what they do. He hates their sins and iniquities and to that end he came and gave his life that he can atone for their sins. I'd get rid of them and marry somebody else. That's what the, uh, the counterfeit church began to teach in ignorance. And so, God causes people to go into captivity, allow them to be concluded in unbelief, brought destruction on them now and then, punishment, but never forsook them. He's going to bring them back. And he is going to bring them back to himself and marry them, and they will be his children. And then all the children of the earth will come through that marriage, and all will be his children. And... Then he continues in verse 25, uh, speaking about his own people, where we read it earlier when we again went through that part of the, of the prophets, where God says of his own people, I will call them my people who were not my people. In other words, when you do not obey God, you're not his people. That's all there is to it. Now, that's what he means by that. His people in the sense of the Spirit. And here, beloved, who was not beloved, and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are my people, now that is, you are not my people, there they shall be called the sons of the living God. And he's speaking about Israel. When Peter spoke to them when he went, you know, Peter being the, the apostle to the circumcision, not to the uncircumcision, he was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. All the disciples were sent to them, and that's what Christ told them, as you read in Matthew chapter 10. First, they went to the people of Judah in his day, and in, in that time, 
for a short brief uh, period, and then ultimately, as he as he proceeds through the chapter, he makes it very plain. He's speaking about the generations to come. And so, as they went to the children of Israel, wherever they were, beyond the Euphrates and other places, this is what Peter told them: that you were being told that you are not the people of God because you disobeyed God. You went into idolatry, but God says, you come back to Him, and you will be the people of God, and you are the people of God. And people do not understand that, and they do not understand the scriptures. So when they go to Peter, and they read what he's saying there, about you are royal genera- generation, royal priesthood, they think that he's speaking about the Gentiles, or about the churches, they think. Well, in the days of all this, they say uh, that God said that about his own people, Israel, in Sinai, but now he rejected that Israel, he picked up, you know, the church, and rejected Israel, put down Israel, and now it's the church that he's talking about. And he's not talking about the church that people think, he's talking about the church that is Israel. Because Israel is a church, and the message that Peter delivered here in, in you know, in First Peter two, uh, was to Israel, because he went to Israel and spoke to them, and this is what he told them, and that's what Paul is saying here. This message is to the people that God concluded in unbelief, but He's going to call them back, because they are the holy seed, and He's going to bring them back to Himself, and He's going to tell them that. I told you in days past, because of your rebellion, you're not my people. You know, get out of my sight, so to speak. Now I'm bringing you back. You're my people. I'm dealing with you. And so that's what he's saying here, and people that read that, they don't understand because they don't read the whole story. And verse 27 continues, Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, see, concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. Not cast away the remnant. You see? And after that, all Israel. First the remnant, they are the first fruit. And this is what made the church in the days of the Apostle Paul, the Apostles, and then the few that God grafted among the nations. They were the remnant at that time. And for he will finish the work. The work that he begun with his own nation, with his own people, he's going to finish it. He's not going to stop people, you know, uh, uh, presenting uh, the whole story as if Christ was a failure, God was a failure. He went down there, he married a woman that was rebellious, Israel, met a nation out of her and, and a wife out of her, and uh, she went into rebellion and he just, he just lost her, he divorced her, he threw her away. And poor God, he has to start all over again with somebody else. Well, anyway, we're going to stop at this point. This is again Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all of God's people, and we'll continue from this point next time. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.